Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. Welcome to episode number 161 of the Foxy Podcast show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from. On this installment, we'll be digging into the work of Blank Forms, a nonprofit organization based in New York City that is dedicated to supporting emerging and underrepresented artists in the field of experimental music, performance, dance, sound art, and other interdisciplinary art practices. Blank Forms' activities are wide-ranging. They present performances and artist residencies, they publish records, books, and in-house journal, and they do a great deal of behind-the-scenes archival and curatorial work as well. In short, they have done quite a bit since forming back in 2016. I recently had a chance to interview the founder and artistic and executive director of Blank Forms, Lawrence Kumpf. We discuss the background of the organization and its various activities, and we get into how they have been adapting in the time of COVID when live performances are not a possibility right now. In addition to that, you'll hear selections from several Blank Form Editions releases throughout the show, including some of their forthcoming albums that are due out in the late summer and early fall months. Before we get to that interview portion, I'll start things off by playing a few songs, starting with the title track from the release Earth to Mama by the New York City trio Hairbone, and then we'll follow that up with The Wolf Has Come Down from the North from a 7-inch single by Graham Lampkin and Joe McPhee. So here again is Hairbone.
pienso es yo, 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 yo. Pero no le digas a él cuándo van a querer si tú no estás enfrente de él. Pregúntale cuál será su nombre este. Yo no lo sé, pero no está contigo. Dale la mano. Si quien te diga atrás, después.
Prior to Blank Forms, you were the artistic director at Issue Project Room, another nonprofit performance space in New York. Were the wheels for starting Blank Forms in motion prior to you leaving Issue Project Room? Yeah, so I was at Issue for 10 years, and a lot of the ideas um, that went into the sort of formation of Blank Forms and the you know, type of nonprofit. Um, that we would be were definitely, um, you know, the seeds of it were all present while I was working at Issue. Um, you know, I really wanted to create something that would sort of go above and beyond the role of a presenting venue. Um, I think, you know, the landscape in New York um, had been sort of dramatically changing, you know, over the last 10 years. Um, and you know, even in the last 20 years, and you know, in many ways, when Suzanne started Issue, it was response to this changing landscape. Um, you know, lots of cultural institutions closing down. Um, you know, especially those that supported like experimental music. Um, you know, Tonic had recently closed right around the time that you know I was starting there. Um, you know, but at the same time. Um, you know, there were sort of a handful of these, you know, spaces left. Um, and in many ways, um, they weren't necessarily being like responsive to the moment. Um, you know, that's to say the sort of like the model, and I think it's only um, become like more apparent now, um, you know, the, the model that they're offering as a sort of of like place for music to happen, you know, isn't so much different than some of the sort of like for-profit um, places that are like opening up right now. Like if you look at, um, you know, public records is something that recently opened, um, I guess that was like last year. Um, and a lot of these like for-profit models are actually, you know, able to pay like artists more Mm -hmm. um, offer like, you know, nicer conditions for foreman. So it's sort of like really like what is, you know, like what is this sort of like nonprofit doing? Um, like why, you know, why is this sort of like presenting venue a nonprofit? Like how does it sort of like distinguish itself? So that was like definitely something that I was like thinking of and also, you know, thinking about, you know, issues and in involvement in, um, 
you know, the sort of like redevelopment of downtown Brooklyn, like, you know, why it was sort of, you know, given this, um, you know, rent-free space um, that was, you know, sort of tied in with Marty Markowitz's sort of building of the, like, the Barclays Center and this sort of like redevelopment of this whole area. And like how, you know, how were art, arts organizations sort of like playing a role in, in that um, gentrification and like redevelopment? And is that a role that they should be playing? Um, you know, so that was, you know, that was sort of like one thing. And also thinking about how that affected, um, you know, affected the sort of like goals and mission of the organization. You know, so much energy had to be sort of like put into, um, you know, raising money for the renovations of the space. You know, it's like this like $8 million renovation project, um, you know, at a point when like, you know, in the entirety of the organization's um, history, like, had we ever spent $8 million on artists, <laughs> but now we're spending $8 million on real estate. Um, so, you know, these were, you know, th these were things that I, I had been thinking about while I was there and sort of like being, trying to be sort of like responsive to. Um, and when I, you know, when I started Blank Forms, I really, you know, wanted it to be an artist focused organization and I wanted to support the work of artists, you know, across a variety of platforms and in, in a really like in-depth way that I hadn't been able to, um, you know, at Issue because, you know, Issue was primarily a place for concerts. So, you know, it's a concert venue and you do like right. four concerts a week. Um, you know, so, yeah, so that, that sort of, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in your original vision or idea behind blank forms did you see it having all these different branches or facets to it from print publications and records and live performances and residencies was was that something that was a part of that original idea or is that something that has sort of evolved over time as you've been an organization no that was that was always like part of the original idea um behind it and you know, things like the, you know, the Marian Amache Foundation, you know, which we recently just announced, that was something that I've been like actively working on <laughs> this whole time. And there are, you know, other, um, you know, other estates that we've, you know, that we're still um, working on setting up and setting up foundations for. It's just like, you know, it's a really like slow process. You know, the work that I was doing um, on Marianne's estate sort of like, uh, independently prior to founding Blank Forms, um, as well as this exhibition that I was working on with um, Cecil Taylor that took place at the Whitney in 2016. You know, those were two, um, those were two big like influences um, on the sort of like structural formation of Blank Forms. It was like, you know, like how can we recreate an organization that can be, you know, like responsive to the needs of, you know, these particular artists um, you know, this artist's estate. You know, in the case of Cecil, what we were really trying to show in the exhibition at the Whitney was, you know, Cecil's an amazing musician. Everybody knows him as such, but he's also an interdisciplinary artist who has a deep engagement with poetry, um, you know, who thinks about architecture, who collaborates with dancers, you know, has, has a, 
you know, like huge history, like in, you know, Judson and then like working with like Min Tanaka and then Diane McIntyre. So there's all these sort of like facets of his practice that have, you know, pretty much like gone like undocumented. Um, so thinking, yeah, thinking about, you know, like how, you know, blank forms can really sort of like represent this sort of, um, an artist practice like across all of these sort of platforms. So, you know, if the artist makes drawings like, you know, Graham, which you have behind you, we can do an exhibition of his drawings. If they, you know, write, we can publish their writing. Um, and then the journal, um, yeah, the, the sort of journal was, you know, always meant to like go alongside all of our programs as sort of a, um, you know, sort of like dumping ground for like all of our research material that like when we're thinking about these artists and we're having conversations when we're doing shows, you know, we're like researching, we're gathering all this stuff. And now we have this spot to like, you know, share that sort of research, you know, with right. the public through the right. journal. Um, yeah. Well, compared to Europe, I mean, institutional support or even just support in general for this area of experimental music and art is is fairly limited here in the United States. Now, I know New York City is the, is the exception, of course, but, you know, as someone in, in my position that doesn't really fully understand all the logistics behind the nonprofit world, I'm, you know, when I throw shows, it's like, you know, here's a few hundred dollars come and play kind of scenario. You know, how, how challenging has it been to establish and maintain funding for blank forms, the operations over the years? Is that an ongoing battle? Yeah, I mean, these things are always like ongoing battles, but, you know, I think we have been, you know, relatively successful in our ability to do this. And we've, you know, been able to, you know, grow reasonably um, as an organization. Uh, you know, I also, you know, like I'm coming from like, I have like 10 years of experience working in nonprofits, you know, from working at Issue, which was a super small staff. And, you know, like, even though I was artistic director there, I, like, had my hand in grant writing and, like, individual cultivation. So I sort of, like, knew what worked and didn't work there. Um, you, you asked sort of, you know, if all of these facets of, you know, blank forms were part of the original vision, and they were, but, like, I also, like, you know, like, rolled things out, like, in a very, like, practical way, whereas, like, you know, the first year I can, um, you know, it's like easy to do concerts. I know how to do concerts. I can put together like a series of concerts of artists that, you know, like have never performed in New York that people are like dying to see here. And like I can sell tickets and that can, you know, help support, um, you know, every, everything else and, you know, pay like fair fees to the artists and also sort of like gain attention. So it's like I, you know, I, I took my time sort of like rolling out the different um, aspects of, you know, what we do um, and being really sort of strategic about like how to, you know, like how to sort of fund them. Um, you know, it's like we can't, we, you know, we had to wait a couple of years until we started like publishing monographic books because books are like extremely expensive and you just like burn money <laughs> making them like more so than like anything else. Um, you know, so for, you know, doing a show, um, you know, like doing a big concert, you know, where we're bringing somebody over from Europe and, you know, we have a lot of costs associated with visas and like artist fees and stuff. 
Um, you know, because we're able to sell tickets on those, you know, the amount of money that we have to raise to sort of like subsidize a performance and like pay an artist like a fair fee, um, you know, is is smaller because there is that sort of like ticket ticket income, um, you know, um, contributing to the overall cost. Um, but then, you know, it's like the bigger projects that are like say like the sort of like archivally driven work, um, you know, the publishing, um, you know, that stuff is, you know, it's it's more abstract and like much more difficult to like raise money for and you really need to have a bit of like a track record as an organization. Um, so, you know, it's like we can build part of that track record by like doing concerts and then you know, we can add the journal there and then, we, you know, we can, you know, at an exhibition here and then you know at this point we've really sort of you know been able to like build these things up and we can say like we do this 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 and this and we can sort of you know it's a little it begins to be easier to like raise money once you've like done all these things and mm -hmm. also i think easier to raise money because we work across so many different disciplines right, um right. i think that's sort of a key thing um you know i've you know, always been trying to sort of frame the sort of music and performance in terms of, um, you know, visual art or not that it, not saying that it is visual art, but it sort of deserves the same sort of like respect and discourse um, that's sort of given to visual art. Um, and I think that's been, that's been a really sort of helpful angle because it also like opens up you know, new funding sources, um, you know, through that community that is very, very interested in this, but, you know, you know, isn't necessarily interested in just music. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, Blank Forms has a, a board of directors and a curatorial yeah. advisory board in addition to the work that you do. So I'm, I'm interested to, f to hear how decisions are, are made as to what you present. I mean, let's just take, maybe let's just focus this just for, you know, people who are music fans out there. Let's take one of your record releases. You know, what are some of the considerations that go into publishing a record that comes out on blank forms, for example? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, anything, you know, like I'm, you know, I've, work as the artistic director, so I'm sort of the driving force behind all of those decision uh, making. You know, we, you know, have a, have a staff that we like talk about these things. We sort of brainstorm ideas. Um, as you mentioned, we have the um, advisory board, which is sort of like a rotating group of people that are, you know, very informally um, in conversation with me and other staff members to think about all of these things to like, you know, shoot, you know, shoot ideas to me. And of course, like, you know, anybody else we have like, you know, like our sort of like friends and confidants and artists that we work with that are, you know, it's just sort of eventually becomes like a machine for generating <laughs> ideas because this is what you're doing all day. You're like talking to the artists, you know, you're talking to people on the advisory board, you're, you're talking to the staff and we're just, sort of very actively thinking about this and, you know, generating these ideas. Um, you know, as far as, you know, like how we make a decision, I mean, some, in, in many ways, it's like the decisions just sort of, like the ideas come up and they're like obvious. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. 
you know, this is something we like are excited about and want to do. It's sort of as simple as that. But we definitely like try to like build, you know, like um, one of the things I was going to say earlier is that, you know, just another model I was looking at when starting Blank Forms was the gallery model. Um, you know, a gallery has 10 artists that they work with and they do shows with them every couple of years and they really sort of like go deep in supporting their practice and their work. And that's something, you know, like I really wanted to do here. And, you know, we have our sort of like core group of artists that, you know, we work on sort of all you know facets of their practice and really like, you know, help, you know, help, you know, help promote their, their work, um, you know, through publishing, um, through like archiving their material, um, you know, through releasing their records, producing concerts. So it's like, it's very, like that type of engagement with individual artists is, you know, very, very generative. Um, you know, Catherine Christer Hennix is a great example. You know, I've been sort of working with, with her in a very like public way through blank forms, but also like privately have been, you know, working working with her to, um, you know, help set up shows internationally, sort of acting as a liaison between like her and producers um, that are interested in presenting her work and like talking people through like what it means to do like a concert with her and like what the costs are. Um, and then I've also been, you know, working with her to archive her materials, to like get all that stuff organized. Everything that was like in the book that we published, you know, was essentially like pieces of paper that I like pulled out of piles in her house. And, like, um, you know, it was, a, it was a very, very long um, five year process of, um, you know, getting, getting that material organized to get them to a state to be able to, you know, publish them. Um, and then we're also, we're working with her to help set up uh, um, an estate and a foundation in Sweden. So she's, you know, more easily able to apply for support for her practice mm -hmm. um, and produce new work. So we're sort of, you know, coming at it from all angles um, and, you know, really, you know, building these sort of like long-term relationships with these individual artists. Right, right. Well, the Blank Forms bio, or I guess I, the mission reads that it's a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting emerging and underrepresented artists. And I guess in light of what we've been witnessing here in our country these last few weeks, and I guess now spread throughout the world, and sort of these rightful calls for justice and equality, what are steps that Blank Forms has taken, or I guess plans to take to make sure that more underrepresented voices are heard. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think the approach that we have to sort of, you know, working with individual artists, you know, can serve as a, like a really great model um, for thinking about like what it means to sort of like curate, um, you know, practices that are ephemeral, um, practices that are time-based, practices that aren't commercial or object oriented in the sense that they, you know, can't as easily enter a market economy as say somebody making paintings. Um, and I think, you know, I think that curatorial model really sort of, um, 
you know, is sort of like care and care for the ecosystem and care for the community. You know, like in order to support this type of work, I mean, you really need to support like the community and a sort of like system that allows for artists to make work and to present work and to like have that sort of discourse and dialogue really like flourish. Um, you know, it's not sort of like a, you know, like a buy sell um, type of situation. Um, it's a much sort of like deeper engagement. Um, so I think, you know, and I, I do think there is, um, you know, I think there is a sort of politics behind um, you know, like rethinking these histories um, and and these sort of narratives, and you know, we really try to approach it from, um, you know, like Catherine Christer Hennix is, you know, somebody whose work, who, who's been, you know, like, fifteen years ago, nobody knew who she was. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but she had sort of like built this um, career. Um, you know, had been a sort of like major um, interlocutor, like in these sort of like conversations with like Lamont Young, um, Henry Flint. Um, you know, had been sort of producing this body of work alongside Walter De Maria, um, and you know, for whatever whatever sort of like reason, had been um, you know excluded from these like histories and narratives. And I think now, like you know, beginning to sort of like rethink that. Um, like, what does it sort of like mean to like include her in these sort of conversations and these histories? Um, you know, it's not only important for like history, but it's important for, you know, younger artists working today, um, you know, who are sort of like just coming on to the scene <laughs> that are, you know, like, you know, don't necessarily aren't are, are as interested in this sort of like John Cage Lamont Young, you know, like narrative of experimental music um, that has been just, you know, completely um, skewed, uh, you know, towards uh, like white, white men. Um, I also, you know, I, I think, it, you know, again, like taking like, you know, thinking Cecil's practice in like a much more sort of like expansive way, you know, there's, um, like allowing, like creating a platform for his voice as, as a writer, as a poet, um, you know, as an intellect um, is super important. We've been, you know, we've been working to get an estate established for him, you know, to like publish his, his poetry and his critical writing. Um, I mean, I think, I think there's so much work being done right now, just in the last like 10 years of the sort of like critical rethinking of the history of sort of like jazz and creative music. I mean, there's just, it feels like every like couple of months there's like a new like amazing text um, <laughs> book study that's been like coming out. And I think, you know, really like sort of, you know, spearheaded by people like Fred Moten, um, um, Brent Hayes Edwards, um, Fumio Kaiji, um, thinkers like that, I mean, that, that's just sort of like cracking open this like whole other um, discourse. Um, so it's been really sort of like exciting to be like, you know, like working with those individuals and like, you know, rethinking a lot of the um, studies in those fields, which again, like have sort of 
predominantly um, those sort of narratives have been constructed by, you know, like white men and have definitely, you know, followed like a certain trajectory and are really now like, um, you know, being sort of like rethought in this very like critical and political light. Um, so yeah, so I mean, that's a sort of another really exciting area, um, you know, that we support and are interested in. Yeah, well, I thought we'd, ta we'd start this first uh, couple bits of music here with a song that ties in, I guess, a, a protest song from Patty Waters, Strange Fruit That Flows Into Nature uh, Nature Boy from her live mm -hmm. album that you put out last year. And I, when I received this record, uh, I guess mid-year mid last year, I think it was, I was so surprised at how powerful her voice still was. Now, that was a performance from maybe two years ago that blank forms had a hand in putting on putting on was that were you struck by how powerful patty waters still was maybe that's a silly question because no you know, her early recordings were amazing absolutely i mean it's i mean yeah no i mean patty's an incredible musician um one that i really feel like should have like wider wider recognition now even um, should be like touring more widely and performing. I mean, she's like there. She's ready to do it. She like wants to. Um, I mean, yeah. I I think I think her sort of her approach to performance now um, is very very different from you know the original <laughs> recording, um, which I guess is almost forty years ago. But yeah, no, it's it's still it's still definitely like has its sort of kick and like power to it. And I mean, she's, you know, sort of like working within the sort of limitations that she has, but she's still like an incredibly like thoughtful and like um, deep artist and an amazing performer. And I mean, I'm super, super happy with how that show and how that record um, turned out. I mean, I think it's, it's just totally beautiful. Yeah, well, let's play it. This is Patty Waters. Southern trees bear a strange fruit. Blood on the leaves, blood at the root. Black bodies swaying in the southern breeze. Strange fruit. Hanging from the poplar tree. Pastoral seed of the gallant south. The bulging eyes and the twisted mouth. Scent of magnolia. Sweet and fresh 
and the sudden smell of burning flesh. Here is a fruit for the crows to pluck, for the wind to gather for the rain to suck for the sun to rot for the tree to drown here is a strange here is a strange and bitter Ooh. Ooh. 
the greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to
Well, given the global pandemic that we are facing and the restrictions that have been placed on large gatherings, Blank Forms has obviously had to cancel a number of performances. So as an organization, how are you adapting to the current situation and, and how are you going about planning things right now? I mean, are you focusing more on publications for the time being? Or are you looking to do more of like these live streams that you see happening or virtual gallery tours and things like that? Is that something that's on the table for, for you guys as an organization? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that was very lucky for us is that we're so overloaded with so much work and so many projects that sort of like taking away live performance, you know, like, we, we barely notice it in terms of our, you know, like workflow. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've really been focusing, yeah, we've been focusing on publications. Um, that's been sort of a, a, a major thing in the last couple months. Um, we're, we've just finished up a collection of Marion Amache's um, selected writings and interviews, which will be out in the spring. Um, an anthology of, um, Delaney Davis's poetry, um, which is again on the spring, and then I'm finishing up two um, two issues of the journal. Um, one coming out, I think, probably late summer, and the other one uh, in October. In addition to that, we've been working on a couple exhibitions, um, and we're planning um, an exhibition on the work of Don Cherry and Yuki Cherry that was originally going to happen in October, which we're now moving to um, spring 2021. That has a huge performance program um, with it. We're going to be bringing over um, Bank Berger, um, and he's writing new music for his Bitter, Bitter Beer Funeral Band. Um, we're going to be doing a quartet with uh, Mats Gustafsson, Ahmed Cherry, um, Christer Bohanton, um, and Hamid Drake. Um, so it's all sort of a celebration of you know Don's music, and it was a specific focus on his collaborations with Mookie in the '70s, um, Movement Incorporated, um, organic music theater, stuff like that. So, um, and then I've also been working on an exhibition on the Texas performance artist and composer Jerry Hunt. So we've just been like sort of like digging like digging deep and like working on that stuff plus all the records we have coming out those were you know sort of like in halfway in production when the plants shut down and they're just opening up again now so um in the next couple of months we're gonna be we're like rolling out like five or six new records and we're about to announce a couple more so like pl plenty of like publications um coming out as far as the fall goes We've moved all of our bigger programs to um, spring 2021 just because, you know, coordination is so difficult. We're not going to be doing any exhibitions in the space until next year. Um, and, you know, if, if, you know, opportunities should arise, things should clear up, you know, we can organize a couple of small shows here and there. Um, maybe we do some bigger shows in like bigger spaces where you're spread out. You know, we're just, we're going to be like responsive, but we sort of have this, you know, we have this sort of like, um, lots of, we have lots of stuff to work on aside from public and <laughs> live concerts. Yeah. Well, that, I was going to ask you that. I mean, as, as a nonprofit like that, do you have, I guess, the ability or the flexibility to, 
take on projects really quickly, like say an opportunity arises for a live show, can you just uh, do something spontaneously like that? Or do you have to think that kind of long-term, like this is our season or this is our programming for the year? Yeah. yeah, no, I don't really do like the whole like season thing. I mean, we have, you know, we have different size, different scales of projects that we work on. And we definitely try to like build in space to be like responsive because otherwise it would be like, you know, totally boring, you know, if it's like, all right, here's the project and it's going to happen in like two years and <laughs> I got to like work towards it. And then by the time it happens, you're already like sick of it. So <laughs> right. it's definitely, uh, we definitely try to be like as open and like responsive as possible and because we are like a small organization, you know, it's only like three staff members. Um, it's like, you know, we, we can, we can do that. You know, it's not like right. if I, I want to do a show like next week and like I you know can fly somebody from Europe and, you know, find a venue and like do it, you know, I'm going to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with you, we, we've already talked a little bit about the publication or the journal blank forms journal. And you just mentioned that you've got a couple things coming out with, you know, normally that would really kind of dive deep into some of the performance things and stuff that you have happening within the organization. Are you kind of expanding that with the issues that you have coming out? Especially, I'm thinking maybe like the fall, um, or is that still kind of tied to the work that you're doing in other ways through the organization? Well, it's all, yeah, it's all tied together um, in one way or another. But the next issue of our journal is definitely like, it should, it should be like this sort of like all of our like canceled programs issue. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're canceled, they're postponed and they're projects that, you know, we'll do eventually. But, you know, that, you know, there's a really great interview um, with Terry Allen um, in, in the next issue. Um, and that show we had to, you know, we moved it from May until September, and you know, I was sort of opposed to moving it to September, but I, you know, like I don't think that's going to happen. Right. Um, so you know, we'll do it next year sometime, but then the you know the book will come out, and you know the journal will come out like you know when it comes out, and you know it's just sort of like different timelines. I mean, it's all it's all sort of like happening. And I mean, that's, that's just sort of like, that's the model that we like work on instead of seasons <laughs> with like different, different timelines. You know, yeah. it's like, it's sort of like you know, everything that we do is sort of like interconnected with everything else. So you should always be able to like draw these sort of like lines and it's not, you know, like we're not like dumping everything at once. Like, you know, like here's all, you know, the Amache stuff. It's about sort of like building, building up these conversations over long periods of time. Yeah, you already alluded to this a bit earlier about the Amache Foundation that was started. How how did you become so deeply involved in, in her work and I guess her archives over yeah. the years? Well, basically, um, you know, it's funny. I um, I never really met her. I you know had like a passing introduction once uh, when I started working at Issue through Suzanne. Um, I started at Issue in 2008, and I think Marianne had done a show in 2007 at the Silo. Um, and, you know, Suzanne had been sort of talking with her about doing something else. So, you know, I you know, met her very, like, for, like, a hello in the back of the space. Um, 
when they were meeting. And then she, her and Suzanne um, both passed away the following year, sort of pretty um, in close succession to each other. Um, you know, but, you know, during my time at Issue, I had worked with, you know, so many artists through like a residency program so many, you know, like local artists, because, um, you know, Issue at that time was really supporting like this emergent um, community of younger experimental artists. It was very like New York focused and stuff. It wasn't really till we moved to the Livingston space. Um, and I sort of like, you know, took over as director that we started doing these like bigger uh, shows with, like international artists. And, you know, it was very much like due to the change of venue um, when I started there, we were sort of, you know, like in a loft space, everybody was like playing, it was like door gigs, you know, there was, I mean, the budget was probably like, you know, $150,000 for the full year or something. It was super small. Um, you know, but, but Marianne was, you know, she is the most important artist for, you know, all of these <laughs> people that I had been presenting there. And, you know, a lot of them had studied at Bard. Um, and it was through sort of, you know, building relationships with that community of artists, um, you know, people like Stefan and like Sergi Cherapin, um, you know, I got into, you know, know Bill Dietz, who was working um, very closely with her. Um, and, you know, I knew other, you know, Micah, I, you know, got to know him. He was sort of very involved at the time. And then, um, you know, they, they have been sort of trying to get, get like a foundation started to like do projects to like, you know, get the material like organized and inventoried. And, you know, there was, you know, there was, um, there was a lot of internal problems um, with some of the people involved. And, you know, I was sort of invited in because I like, you know, knew everybody and, you know, I, I offered to sort of like fiscally sponsor them through issue and like help started helping, you know, managing the finances and the income and trying to sort of take and starting to like work with them to sort of, you know, set up an, an independent entity, um, you know, that, you know, would function as the foundation. Um, and so, yeah, it's something that continued through, um, my through founding blank forms and you know it was just like a it was a it was a long <laughs> laborious <laughs> process there's a lot of like legal stuff that had to be like sorted out um and also i mean the ultimate goal was to have this material like donated to a public institution like the New York Public Library. So, you know, we were meeting with people from the Getty, you know, Bar at CCS, all these places. And there was actually like a lot of work to be done to, can, to let people know who Marianne was and like why her work is important. Because again, you know, she, like her sort of like history, her narrative is not sort of visible to um, the larger world. And so as part of that strategy, um, this, this sort of like strategy that we developed in order to like meet our goal of setting up a foundation, getting her material into a collecting institution and getting that collecting institution to like do the preservation work 
um, of you know thousands of tapes, you know thousands of pages of papers, video. Um, some some of it like very like moldy and funky. Um, you know, we came up with this model of you know doing sort of like seminars and listening sessions. Um, you know, like raising some money to digitize some material, presenting that to the that to the public, doing projects as we could do them, like um, Petra, for instance. Um, you know, that that's a sort of a, that's a project that we could produce a concert of, unlike some of her um, electronic installations, which are like much more sort of like complicated and require like much more like long-term thinking about like what it means to present a work like that. Um, you know, Adjacencies was an early um, composition from 1965, one of the only compositions that we have a full score of. You know, so we were able to do these projects as a way to sort of like build up public awareness, you know, um, to like pitch her work to an institution that would be able to dedicate the, you know, probably like millions of dollars <laughs> of um, investment that would be needed to store, digitize this material and make it available to the public. So, you know, we sort of, yeah, so we sort of, that was the strategy we put in place and we sort of, you know, had our goals and we were also able to sort of like produce content, but that content, you know, in turn, like, you know, had a task, which was to, you know, entice people from institutions to get excited about her work so they could, you know, take on <laughs> take on this, uh, you know, garage full of, you know, boxes. <laughs> right, right. What I'm hearing there is there's a lot of work involved that's not always very glamorous, right? Yeah. And a lot of work that's not, like, it's, it's just, like, not super visible. Um, and also that, you know, we can't necessarily, like, fundraise specifically for because it's, it's like, it's sort of, like, unclear, it's, it's like, unclear territory. You know, you know, like what we're doing. It's like very, like you know, because we don't like at that point. You know, we we didn't like own this material. You know, it was in the possession of Ulster County, which is the county um, that she lived in where she died because she, you know, didn't have any um, uh, heirs and didn't have a will. Um, but you know, we were sort of like working with members of the county in order to sort of you know help facilitate, you know, this donation to the library, but it's not like, you know, we were giving it to the library. We're sort right. of in sort of like intermediate position. And, you know, through that, we were able to set up a foundation, um, you know, to oversee the intellectual property that's run by, you know, a group of her peers. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought we'd play some music here uh, with some kind of new and forthcoming stuff. And I'm going to start... Uh, with a track here from a forthcoming release. I think it's due out maybe August. I, I think that's the timeline. But it's from Stillhouse Plants, band out of Glasgow. Or maybe London, too, right? I think they're kind of split yeah. between. But a band that's really hard to peg. I mean, there's a lot happening with this group. Like, what is it? Is it is it no wave? Is it experimental? It's like a very, very interesting group that I, I, I think they're a pretty exciting new band. I mean, is that... How did you guys get on board with Stillhouse Plants? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, they, uh, I had just like heard their first record and, you know, I thought the same thing that you thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's definitely like sort of like out of our sort of like purview a bit. But, um, 
you know, I just sort of like reached out and started started the dialogue with them. Um, and then I, you know, Abby, um, who does Bison Records, who's you know co-releasing it, she put out the first record, and you know, she was excited to collaborate on the next release. And yeah, that's that. There you go. All right. Yeah. Well, this is a track called "Do" from Stillhouse Plants.
Well, I thought we would talk about just some of the upcoming publications that you have in the works. I know you had already mentioned some of the you know, print publications and you have a number of records that are coming out too. Um, so I thought we would just highlight a few of those here in this last section before we uh, say our goodbyes. Um, uh, maybe you could highlight a few of those. And I wanted to talk specifically about uh, the Lampkin box set, because to me, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, I've heard all those records, but the fact that they're coming out in this box set with additional writings and stuff like that, it's pretty exciting to me. And I think also a lot of people have been eagerly awaiting Salmon Run, to, to, uh, like yeah, an LP sure. edition of that. So this <laughs> is a big deal for Lampkin fans out there. Yeah, yeah I mean, so I've been, you know, I've been working with Graham um, since my time at Issue. Um, you know, we first met right when I started working there in 2008. And, you know, I've been, you know, essentially producing all of his concerts in New York um, since then, um, as well as a, a number of exhibitions of his drawing. So, um, you know, a big fan of his work. I, you know, first learned about him through Shadow Ring, and then Salmon Run was the first solo record of his that I heard um, probably right before the concert in 2008 that we did. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it was a great opportunity um, for us to, you know, do this project to sort of like anthologize this period in his career. Um, these uh, solo releases starting with poems for voice and tape and coming up to um, amateur doubles. Um, I think it really, like, um, you know, marks a, a, like, like I said, it marks a distinct period in his sort of artistic activity, um, sort of like post-shadow ring and, um, you know, like right before the, the work that he's been doing in the last, like, five years, which has, um, you know, tended in my mind um, to be more about, like, spontaneous improvisation um, in a in a very, very sort of like um, open forum with a you know rotating um, cast of collaborators. I mean, I really think after his sort of you know meeting meeting Joe McPhee and spending a lot of time with him and sort of engaging with his work, um, you know, his approach to live performance really changed. And you know, one of the things I was specifically thinking about, um, you know, when Blank Forms first started, we did a, a program in uh, Mexico City um, as part of my friend's festival. So we um, you know, had uh, brought Andy Lampert and Akyam Lee and Don Caspers and Joe and Graham down. And the whole time, you know, Graham was just like, oh, I'm just, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to bring a stapler. Um, <laughs> but, you know, prior to that, you know, you know, we had been doing like one, you know, about like one show a year. And, you know, it was, you know, with him and Jason Lescoli, we did one with him and Monique Darge. Um, his first solo show was in 2014. We did one at Issue, we did one um, at Yale Union. Um, and, you know, at, at that point, he had been really sort of like developing, you know, like, each year like a, a single performance and it, they were very sort of like meticulous and thought out very much in the fashion of um you know these records that are all collected here um so there's this sort of like um yeah parallel between um 
you know, what, what he was doing or like how he was sort of like conceiving of his, um, you know, live performances um, and, and those sort of work included in this box set. Um, and we've also, you know, we've been working, I've been working on his um, archive with him as well. Um, next year, we're going to put out uh, a Shadow Ring box set. Mm. Uh, we're anthologizing all of that. Um, and we've been discussing, there'll, there'll be some of the Cat in the Bells Club stuff included in that um, box set. And we've been discussing, um, you know, maybe putting out an LP of sort of the highlights from those first two um, Cat in the Bells tapes. Um, so yeah, more stuff, more stuff yeah. to what what is the the book that comes with the box set? Is that going to feature a lot of his artwork too, or is that just separate from from um, the, the the box set? So there'll be um they'll it'll feature some of the sort of self portraiture that he's was working on during the time. Um, some of that's you know in collected in that book Miller's that was published by mm -hmm. Penelope Press. Um, it'll include um a longer essay by Mark Harwood, sort of doing a bit of an overview um, of all of this work. I have a little introductory piece that I've written there. Adrian Rue that works with me has a longer essay on um, amateur doubles. And then there's like these sort of um, shorter reflections um, uh, by uh, Ed Atkins, who's a visual artist that Graham's been collaborating with um, in the last couple of years. Um, there's a piece by Samara Lebowski, um, and then there's a piece on uh, poem for voice and tape, which is actually a little bit longer by uh, uh, Matt Crafting in there. So it's really trying to like think about, yeah, like sort of think about this sort of period of Graham's work, sort of contextualize and historicize these albums in a way, and like, you know, you know, contribute to the uh, the critical conversation around them and sort of bring all that together in one place. Um, yeah, and a couple of other releases that you have out. You've already mentioned the uh, Catherine Christer Hennix uh, projects that are in the works. I also thought it would be worth mentioning that you have another kind of double LP from the uh, Masayuki uh, Taka Nayagi New Direction Unit. I got to slow yeah. it down. I got to slow uh, it down when I say that. <laughs> But that's yeah. another exciting project too. Like that, uh, April is the cruelest month album that came out last year. So darn good. Yeah, so it's nice to see more of that work coming out. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, yeah, Takayanagi is just a totally incredible musician um, whose work has you know, never been released outside of Japan. Um, the April is the cruelest month. Is you know has is sort of a great starting point because it has a, you know, a great story and a connection to the New York jazz scene through um, ESP. Um, the live album that we have coming out is uh, 1975, so it's the same, the same group. It's a live concert from that period, so you can really get a sense of like what the, um, you know, what his live performance was like. The stuff that he was doing in sort of like 74, 75, 76, 77, I think is, you know, his, most exciting work um, with that group of musicians. It's there's tons of other amazing material out there, but it's you know it's an extremely like hard to access. You know, like I'm like I mean even getting this material was like very difficult. Um, it's sort of I, I have been sort of after it for a while, and um, 
when we brought Marginal Consort over to the States, um, getting to know Kazu Imai, you know, we, we talked a lot about Taki and Nagi, and he was the one that sort of connected me with this guy, Sato, who, um, you know, I've been working with to make this stuff happen. Taki and Nagi's widow is still alive, um, as are the other members of the band. So he sort of like brokered the deal um, for me and, you know, like, gotten the money for the rights to all the proper musicians and the wife and everything and has you know been sort of like really en enthusiastic about our releases and you know it's funny you know like it it's it like last time i was there like we were like you know i was hanging out and you know i go like meet him with a translator and stuff and you know at some point he was just like he's like you know it's like you know a lot of people have asked me about this but i just ignore them but because you know like kazu introduced us you know <laughs> right said, it helps <laughs> um but i mean the stuff that i'm really i've been really trying to get after is you know the um oops. i just had a weird ringing happen there um the stuff that i've been really trying to get after is um the material that he released on the three blind mice label um which is just so yeah it's super difficult because it's now controlled by sony um and they you know they you know they reissue the cds in japan and they like people buy them there but i think because you know because we're only pressing like such small amounts of records and like you know the audience outside of japan for this is you know it's going to be limited because it is you know difficult music in the end mm -hmm. um it's just tough they just don't you know they don't want to like do a deal so um, I mean, I was, you know, finally, I got like one of the guys from like Disc Union I was meeting with there, who's like friends with the guy at Sony. He like, you know, like, he called him for me and he was like, oh yeah, he says he received your emails, but you know, they don't do deals like this. So he never wrote back, <laughs> um, you know, so it's like, I'm going to like keep, keep trying and like, you know, just, you just sort of like keep going on these things for years and then they like, um, <laughs> You just wear them out. That's what you yeah. need to do. <laughs> it was funny. Um, yeah, I remember when I was working with Cecil when he, you know, got the Kyoto Prize. The guy, you know, the guy that um, was came to like give him his award letter. He kept calling and calling, and like Cecil wouldn't like answer the phone or like return the call. So this guy like flew from Japan and you know went to Cecil's house and was just like knocking on his door and knocking on his door. And he like sat outside for like hours and then he would like come back and then like knock on his door again. And then, you know, like three days later, like Cecil like finally like went down and like opened it and like invited him in. And you know, I was just you know, like trying to give him like a million dollars. After all that persistence. Wow. That's <laughs> you know, wild that someone would do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our time. Um, I'm going to probably head into this last block here with something from Sam and Ron. We'll, I'll figure that out. But Lawrence, thank you so much for your time. Oh, yeah, and, thank and, you. Yeah. And thank you for your patience through all the technical glitches. No problem. That's what happens now.
is there another side? Is there another side? Will I see you all sometime? I hope not too soon on the other side.
And that's going to bring things to an end for this installment of the show. I want to thank Lawrence once again for his time, patience, and willingness to chat with me. If you'd like to check out the complete playlist for this show, you can go to our website at freeformfreakout.com. There are links that will bring you to each of the releases played and where you can purchase a copy if you'd like. You can also get more information about Blank Forms by visiting their website at blankforms.org. If you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at fffreakout at hotmail.com. I'm going to try to get back into a regular schedule with the show once again, so I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Until then, thanks so much for listening.